Well, good morning uh, from me. Hold on. Uh, right, what are the children doing today, um, uh, wonderful leaders? Are they doing Ten Commandments? Can I just come and show everyone? Brilliant. Look at this. Yeah, this is quite sacred. So they're working on this. Yeah? Pretty good, pretty good. And as we work through it, I'll be asking you some questions as well for the adults too. Right, the Ten Commandments. Have you heard of them? Right, children, question number one. Where do rules come from? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Okay, all right. Well, that's the end of the sermon, so thanks for that. You got it right. Brilliant. Now, that's literally it. Let's go home. She's cracked it. Oh, you were supposed to say something like mum and dad or gran or something, and, but no, oh, you did. You got it right. Um, okay, right. Let's just say you did say mum and dad, and we're back on track for the sermon, and you said gran or something. Right, where do we as adults get our rules from? Adults, have you ever thought about that? Where do you get your rules from for people to live by your children? Um, it should be like a higher place again, rather than we just all making it up as we go along, I hope. Um, now, adults, here's a big question for you. Where do you get your morals from? Your sense of right or wrong? Because we give them to children to follow, and they're doing ten of them. Where do you get yours from? And I actually think the moral argument is one of the strongest cases that there's a God. Because if you just say, well, we're all just sort of copying each other, then there's no outside reason to say another group is wrong whenever they do something. Because they've just used the same reasoning to come to what we do for right or wrong, you see? So though you might disagree with them, let's just go back to the 1930s in Germany where a group of people decided what was right and wrong. And they decided it. They didn't go outside of themselves. They thought it was best. But let's just say we're doing that now for how we get our right or wrong and we're not asking God. Then it's the same process. So you can disagree with them, but you can't really say what they did is sinful and evil because they're just doing what we do and maybe we've just come along a bit. It's a really, it's obvious when a country decides something and we just know it's evil that there's something in us Going outside, giving us a sense of right or wrong. It's a powerful argument for you to read about. And the children are doing, oh, look at that, it's up there, brilliant. The Ten Commandments, where God, children, literally speaks to people like you and me and says, this will be good for everyone. This is it. This is what I think. And this is God's law for living. And it involves all of us. Now, I know that there are some differences between us Gentiles and the Jews there, but, and there's some arguments, do they all stand today? All we need to know really tonight is, oh, this morning, long night for me, sorry. Um, all we need to know is, this is really God's heart, and though some things might change along the way, this is pretty much the embodiment of how God wants people to live, and only ever one has really ever done it, and his name is Jesus. Ten big words or sentences for planet Earth. Well, particularly the church they were given to here. And here's my next question for the children, but the adults can think about it too. If mum and dad give you a rule, or gran or aunt, whoever looks after you, 
Is it for your good? Ever think about that? If I give you a rule, my boys, is it for your good? Do you trust me? If a teacher says to do something, is it for their good? Teachers, is it for their good? Yeah, well, one person thinks so, yeah. Do we give rules because we love people? Or I love my children or grandchildren? Yes? Yeah, on the whole. It's the same with God. And we forget that. Now then, here's a whopper of a question for the children. Do the children obey what we ask them to do, and then they become our children? And it's a condition of them being children in my family. Or are they already children, and we've given them rules to live as part of the family? What about that? Because it sounds simple, but you'd be surprised how many religions get that bit wrong. And people even think of Christianity, we're trying our best and we might get there and we might be in God's family. Let's just hope for the best and try and behave. Like that is not the Christian message. These commandments are given to people who have already been what? Saved. Redeemed is the fancy word. Brought out of Egypt. Um, Here we go. Let me just read verse 1 again. Oh, that's 22. Hold on. Right. I am God. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of slavery. Children and adults. The Christian message is not this. If you obey God's rules, He'll save you. Good luck with that. It's, I've already saved my church. This is how you live. Just like those children down there who belong to some adults, they're already in the family. And I hope some burdens roll off you if you mess up and sin this week to know that Christ has already brought us out of slavery and Egypt. Now then, here comes the first one. Because I've brought you out, you shall have no other gods before me. And as the children rifle through it, I'm just going to explain them The first four, and then the last six in rapid fire. Here's the first one, no other gods. What does that mean? Well, thankfully, we all become like what we worship. And thankfully, Christians get to worship and become like the living God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's wonderful. Some people will live for money. That's a killer God. Some people will live for football. That's a killer Some people will live for lust and relationships. That's a killer. This one, you get to worship no one but me, and you'll be better off for it. That's the first one. So, question for the young ones and the adults. Do you worship the living God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit? Or do you worship uh, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, or the Welsh Rugby Team, or your job? The others lead to death. And you'll be like this strange, shriveled person. One leads to life. And that's what they get to do. And then it goes on to something I wrote in the newsletter this week, children. The second commandment. um, Do not make for yourself a graven image. I wrote about that one. You can read it in the newsletter. But basically, this one is about the method of worship. Um, Like... 
the Most High says, don't look anywhere else apart from Christ. Okay, don't go anywhere but Him. Now, children, in the olden days, there were no TVs, if you can believe that, Levi and Jensen. No TVs. And so how would you know what the queen looked like, whose rule you were under? You got any ideas for that? So the queen, you're, under, you're living in her country, you're supposed to be doing what she says, you're part of her empire, you're already in, but you want to know what she looks like and a bit about her. What would you do without TV and photographs? Any ideas? Where would you look? No radio, Joe, earlier than that, earlier than that. Go back to the 1500s. This one's got it. Coins. The face is on the coins, and that is an image or an icon. And you go, oh, there's lovely looker. Okay, I'm glad that she's in charge. I'll do what she says. So we look at the image. And the Bible says, we look to no other image except Christ. He is the icon, the image of the unseen God. And if you ever want to learn anything about him, you look to Christ. And you become more like him. Now, adults, you might think this. Well, that one's an easy one because I've never bowed down to a giant statue. I'm doing all right on that one. Well, listen to this quote my friend said. Graven images are not defined by their materials but by their effect. It's not how they're produced. It's what they produce in us. What we bow down to and serve it's similar to the first commandment, really, but this is a laser-sharp focus on Christ. Is he my Lord? It's about our hearts, this one. And um, it's really interesting. People often overskip this. He says, why? Because I'm a jealous God. I don't know if you've ever been really, really super loved by another human. I'm sure you have on some degree. But nobody here who's a follower of Jesus has been loved as fervently as you are by the living God. Jealously in love with his church and his church members. Did you know that 30 times God is described in the Bible as being jealous for people like us? And jealous in the Bible is the same basic word as zealous. And it all comes from this root word, red. It's like red, hot, commitment and fervor to people like us. A good jealousy. Now then, children, this one might frighten you. What kind of love does God have for people like us? Well, one day you might get married. Buddy? Uh, you might not. And um, let's just say you're in love with your wife. And then what happens a few years later if someone on the road, a next door neighbor, he wants to be married to your wife and he, he falls in love with your wife. Let's just say he makes her like a little mixtape of Celine Dion greatest hits or something to win her affection and puts it through the door and writes her love letters. Now you're married to him, but I want you to be married to me. Now imagine the husband went like this. Well, I don't mind. I don't mind. Whatever. I'm not a jealous type of guy. Yeah, no, just have a. What kind of man would that be? Slightly strange. Bit disappointing. Well, all men are slightly strange, and you'll learn that when you're older. But you want a husband to fight for the love and protection. And that's the way that God says jealousy can be good. 
And that's how God loves sinners tonight who are followers of Jesus. And the call for us is love him back like that. Not just keeping rules because we're worried or something or he might be angry with us. Because he's given so much for us, we want to give so much back. This is like a marriage, literally. That's why the church, when it sins in the Bible, it's not just called a transgressor, it's called an adulterer. You've broken the marriage. This is serious, real love for God and his people. That's how warm, it's like red, passionate love. Then the third one, children, can you see that there? Number three, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord, Yahweh. Oh, here's a good one. Have you got a surname? What's your surname? You got a surname? Yeah, your brother thinks you have, yeah. Yeah, okay. Do you want to say it? You haven't got one. Oh, you have? Ever, just check, yeah, Evans. Yep, good, solid, Welsh. Uh, Jensen, have you got a surname? He's like, what are you asking me that for? You know full well what our surname is. You see the look then. Yeah, Batstone. Thanks for helping me out there. Um, that's our family name. Now then. When I arrived in Cardiff and we, ha- we were applying for schools, we managed to get into Lakeside. <laughs> and um, what's your surname? We had to put on the form and tell the receptionist, Batstone. And there's always that slightly worrying moment in Cardiff. Have they heard of the name? And has it gone down well or not? But thankfully they went, oh, Batstone. Yeah, and then they remembered my sister, who thankfully had represented the Batstone name well. And Mr. Tony Williams gave my sister her first teaching job in Lakeside, and she did a good job. So it's like, oh, Batstone's brilliant. If we'd have gone to Tonneruin, where I had been, it would have been, oh, Batstone. Because children, you carry a name. And uh, if you misbehave a lot, your name goes around the staff room, And then it's like, oh, that family again. And then if they have children, they won't even name them your first name. That's how deep it goes. Teachers like grade names on past pupils. Well, Batstone, that one's out. And here we are. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. In the same way, every Christian here carries the name Christ. That's the name that a follower of Jesus gets given And other people in this school or area will judge him by looking at us, the family name. See, some people think it means, oh, we must never use God's name at all. Some Jews believe that. I don't think that's what's going on here. Other people say we must never cuss God's name. Children, you'll hear this in school. People go, OMG. And I don't like that. And it's usually by people who don't really regard the Lord very much. They do those types of things. But actually, the main thing here is, it's how are you representing God's name to other people in your actions? In your actions. How are they speaking about Jesus Christ when they look at you? And a couple of times in the Bible, it says this, God's name is being blasphemed in the Bible because of the church. Romans 2 and Isaiah 25. See, this blasphemy here means making it look worthless, the name of the Lord. Do not make God's name look worthless by the way we behave. And so that's why we gather today, children and adults, to say, sorry, Lord, Um, we've sinned and we have let you down, but we gather here to learn how best to live 
his name out properly and be more like Christ. That's why church is so wonderful. We come here to learn how to be holy and carry his name. And then the fourth one, this is the last one we're going in depth with. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Ooh, this one's a big one. Um, Having a day off to the Lord, not to be lazy, but to give thanks to the Lord and really reflect on who he is and what he has done. Here's a question. Where is the world heading, adults? Is it, my friend writes this in one of his books. Some people think it's heading to climate catastrophe. Some think it's heading to an asteroid impact. Others think nuclear Armageddon. Others think a global pandemic. Others think cosmic heat death. That's the end of the world. Actually, the Bible says from the, God worked for six days creating everything. And then he rested on the seventh. And everything is heading towards joining him in his rest. That he's going to end everything. And so when you become a Christian, it's like, oh, yes, I found rest from like my soul and my mind and my body. It's all safe in the arms of Jesus. Rest. I'm joining God. And, and then it's going to happen again on the last day. God's going to call everyone of his church to join him to join his rest. And we're called this week to show that that's important by taking some time off from the rat race, from jobs and work and stretching ourselves like there's nothing more important than money. We're we're to be examples of people who think like this. Even if I lose my job and my money and my health, I'm okay because I'm resting in the Lord who has it all. And I'm going to take some time off in the week to show that. That's what this rest is about. Now there's a whole hoorah about what day it should be. I'm not going into that for this one. I'm just going to tell you this verse. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. I think that's one of the most important ones for 2021. There's a real worship of jobs and career even in the church. And it's something I'm really guilty of, like constantly working, even for church. And we have to display, we're not about that stuff. We care more about the world to come than money. Not that I do it for money, but even for other people. You know, the sense that you always have to be there. That's Jesus' job description. It's not mine. I'm always having to tell myself, stop saying people, I'll always be there for you. Because I can't. That's Jesus' job description. And he's got you. And I have to take some time off to let everybody else know that that's the case as well. And you ought to do that too. So stop worshipping your job. That's that one. And then, the last six, they're all about how we treat each other. Uh, Here's the fifth one. Wait, did I just mess up my maths? Anyway, here's the last last one I want to really jump into. The fifth one, okay. Um... Honor your father and mother, and I will give you rest in the land, or you'll live long in the land. What's that? Children, you might have someone who looks after you. Might be a parent, older sister, auntie, gran, whatever. Here's why this one's here. And it's like, if you do this, you're definitely going to live long in the heavenly land forever. You'll go to heaven if you do this one. And what, what do you mean by that? Well, we've all got people in our homes most people have got a mum and dad somewhere, not everyone. And it's like, if you 
if you believe this stuff at home, where you don't fake in public and pretend, if you work on this stuff at home, it's obvious you're a Christian and you're on the way to heaven. Do it to the nearest and dearest. And if you're not doing it there, but you're this big show off in public or in school or in your job, this command's like, hey, remember the people at home. That's when you'll know this stuff is real. Linus, a character in Peanuts, once remarked this, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. And that's the real issue of this one here. It's like all this, I love God, but I can't stand church, and I don't ever want to meet another Christian. It's it's not how it happens. The nearest and dearest, we're here together, and we're to be like Christ with each other. Now, some people have got a horrible home life. Their parents are useless, and that's a real pastoral issue, and we're here to help you on that. But as far as we can, the call here is to honor those closest to us, whether it's friends or family. Then, 13 to 16, you'll have as homework. Jesus gets involved with these three a lot in Matthew 5. So homework, read Matthew 5 for those next ones, commandments 6 to 9. But the issue is this, Christians don't steal, we don't cheat, we don't lie. Jesus makes that clear, that it's all in here. It starts here in the heart. Do you obey the Lord Jesus? Is he that valuable to us that you don't cheat on the forms you fill out? You don't pull tax scams. You don't rob music and films and you stop lying and cheating to people. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is really about. Children, if you go into a shop and you buy some sweets and the shopkeeper gives you too much change back, you go, you're giving me too much change back. And I'm a Christian and here it is back. That's what these commandments are about. And so we end with verse 17, the last one. Oh, it's up there. Um, Do not covet. Stop always wanting in your hearts what other people have. And it ends with that because the whole issue of these commands is this. It starts with who is God to you in your heart, and it ends with this. In your heart, where are you finding rest, peace, Stop looking to your neighbor's donkey for ultimate joy. Your neighbor's car, your neighbor's wife or husband or job or the fact they're single. Stop going there, the holiday destination, health, um, lifestyle. Go to God to find rest. And with all that said, children and adults, we confess our sins. We're not worthy, are we? We've botched a few of these, to say the least. But there is one, and we worship him this morning, who um, Romans 10 said is the culmination of the law. All of this. He was the best friend you could ever have. He was the true protector of you. He never would cheat and lie to you, even though he knows your whole story. He would die for you and your sin, and replace you in judgment so that you can live. And the reason we want to keep these, and we get to keep these, is because we see how wonderful they are in Christ, and we want to be like Him. And I'm going to end with a Bible verse we've learned, because all the commands Jesus kept, it's like He gives His exam results to us, and we're welcomed as children because of Him. God made Him, who had no sin, to be sin for us 
so that in Him, with all of this going on, in Him, we might become the righteousness of God as if we got a grade A on all of this. So we come to Christ and we get to live the Christian life this week. Hey, children, brilliant. I'm looking forward to seeing your Ten Commandments and hearing reports from mum and dad and your teachers all week that you've been brilliant Christians in school. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.